Well, there is a bit more optimism in the markets this morning, certainly in equities, but will it last? And a bit of a surprise yesterday with New Zealand's inflation numbers, but bonds are sort of calmer in the UK, at least this morning, although the Bank of England did deal a, a bit of a surprise overnight. And we have their CPI later on today as well, plus the question about who's running the country, of course. CPI for Canada as well. And we're now back to that question, has inflation peaked? Yes, that old chestnut. It's Wednesday, the 19th of October, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar has been up and down overnight, marginally down now. The pound is down 0.3%, but the Canadian dollar down almost as much, about 0.2%. Both have inflation numbers coming out later on today, of course, but only one of them has a question mark about how long their prime minister is going to last. Uh, the Aussie is up a quarter percent, just above 63 US cents now. The US bond market and stock market, well, they were both lower earlier in the session, then both higher. Now 10-year Treasury yields down two basis points, just dipping below 4%. UK 10-year yields also down two basis points. That is a bit calmer than where they've been, isn't it? In fact, no big, big moves anywhere today, it seems, except for Australia. We saw an 11 basis point drop in 10-year yields yesterday, down to 3.91%, but up about six basis points on futures since then. And US shares, well, there's been nothing to pull them down. Hence, we've got a 1.2% rise in the Dow, 1.2% for the S&P 500. These are all at close, uh, and 0.9% for the NASDAQ. Uh, And just after the close, the Netflix numbers, 2.4 million subscribers against 1 million subscribers, which was expected. So a big rise in uh, after uh, in the value of after-share trades. The guidance for Q4 was down a bit, but that doesn't include anything for their tier of ad-supported subscribers. So there's a bit upside, of upside in those numbers. Twitter was up quite a bit as well today during trade, because it sounds like that deal is about to close uh, with Elon Musk. And shares up in Europe as well, a 0.9% lift for the DAX, 0.4% for the CAC Caronte, and 0.6% for the Eurostox 50. Even the FTSE 100 is uh, up a quarter percent at close and oil down. WTI has lost 2.7 percent and Brent crude down to almost $90 now with a 1.7 percent fall. So relatively speaking, a quiet start to the day given where we've been. Let's enjoy it while we can. Here's Ray Attrell from NAB in Sydney. It feels calmer, but we're still seeing quite big swings in equities and bond yields overnight. Although the you know the the direction is generally positive positive isn't it? I mean yields are generally down, uh, equities are up, so a little more risk, uh, a little less apprehension perhaps. Uh, morning, Phil. Um, yes and no, I think I'd say to that. Certainly, equities mm. are, and um, you know, as per you know, the conversation you were having with Sally yesterday, you know, it does seem like you know the market had built up quite a perhaps excessively bearish head of steam. And, uh, you know, at, at this mm. stage, I'm still be very reluctant to describe the, the, the move that we've seen in, in equities in the last 48 hours or so as anything other than a, another bear market rally as such. But, um, you know, but certainly up and uh, um, yeah, just looking across the S&P, for example, um, actually the industrial sector has, has led the gains. And, um, and perhaps not coincidentally, we had some pretty strong industrial production numbers out of the US last night. Yes. Um, you know, so the idea that, you know, the signals from things like the ISM manufacturing survey, that manufacturing is pretty much sort of in sort of at or, or close to recession uh, readings in line with much of the rest of the world. Um, the hard production numbers are, are saying otherwise. A bit like the uh, the weakness of U.S. consumer spend, consumer sentiment, yeah. and then they all go straight off to the mile to um, to spend 
um, the cash that they still have in the bank, effectively. So, you know, that's actually yeah. quite a good omen for um, US GDP in Q3 and heading into Q4. So at the moment, you've still got that, you know, sense that the, the US economy is still faring relatively better. Anyway, all that but to say the industrials were the best performing sector of the S&P. But, you know, the other thing is bond market volatility hasn't really gone away. And, you know, to say that bonds are doing well, well, we have got treasuries are still flitting either side of uh, 4% at 10 years, aren't they? And yeah. we've seen quite a bit of a, an intraday um, reversal, which actually you know, has emanated to a large extent from the UK market following some... Um, some confusing signals, if you like, about yeah. Well, it's all confusing still, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a report in the FT saying that uh, that they were going to hold off uh, resuming their their bond uh, their bond sales, but then a press release out of the Bank of England saying no, they they're, they're going to kick off again, uh, and uh, they're going to pick up the pace. And so uh, they expect by the end of the year they will have uh, they, they will have sold off as many as they would have done if we hadn't been through this whole episode over the last week or so. No, absolutely, and that was you know really. really responsible for quite a, a reversal. So really what happened yesterday, um, to put it in a nutshell, you know, the markets got off to a very bad start as far as interest rate markets were concerned because of that stonking upside surprise on New Zealand CPI, which has caused yeah. the New Zealand market to reprice um, for the RBNZ, including RBNZ colleagues who think that 75 basis points in uh, at the next meeting now looks pretty much nailed on. That did have spillover to the Australian rates market, for example, um, you know, and, and yields were um, higher. And then mid-afternoon, FT saying, you know, sources suggest that the Bank of England is going to, uh, is not going to restart the quantitative tightening program um, on at the end of October. That Remember, it had agreed at the end of September that it was going to temporarily um, suspend the start of uh, guilt, active guilt sales. Um, but then they've come out and then said, no, that's not true, and issued a, a press notice to say, no, we're starting on November the 1st. That's a one-day delay from uh, the October mm. 31st original start date. Uh, and that has actually caused a you know, a fairly significant reversal of, of the moves yeah. that we saw during... Well, it does year. seem erratic, doesn't it? You know, from, from selling to buying to back to, <laughs> back to well, that's selling right. again. Yes, although accompanying that statement or, or in other reports I've read is that, um, you know, they are saying that they think that, um, you know, a lot of the distress that's been evident in the gilt market, you know, relating to the, uh, the activities of pension funds having to meet their margin calls on these um, liability-driven investment schemes... Um, you know that the funds needing to supply that extra liquidity or, or assets have, you know, have actually, you know, have done that to the tune of tens of billions of dollars, and therefore, mm. famous last words, problem solved, <laughs> and therefore we can, you know, we can proceed to, to to get back to the job of containing inflation through monetary policy focused on higher rate, rates and quantitative tightening. So, so we're back in the eighty billion pounds over twelve months. Um, commencing November the first, and as you say, but in addition to that, whatever they bought from the um, you know the temporary purchases, um, they also want to make up that shortfall, which is um, yeah. I can't remember which the number, bad, but, it's, bad, um, but it's sort of it wasn't as big as it was, the door, it could was it have been. five and ten yeah. billion. I can't remember the number of yeah. my head. Oh, just a mere five or ten. That's nothing in uh, this day and age, is it? <laughs> so, and I wonder whether we uh, we should talk about the New Zealand inflation numbers because uh, it is taking a while to slow down, isn't it? Seven point two percent for Q three, hardly down at all from seven point three last time. A lot more than expected, and quarter on quarter, it's actually picked up, isn't it, from one point seven to 2.2%, despite all those hikes. And yet I feel a sense that there's an expectation that maybe one more big rise from the RBNZ in November, and maybe that's it. Maybe it will have peaked and the job will be done. 
Well, you know, that's, that, you know, let's remember monetary policy works with a lag, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and in New Zealand's case, you know, the lead indicators of activity, you know, go back to, let's go back to school, Phil. You know, how does monetary policy work? Well, it takes about six months to affect the real economy and then another 12 months or so after that to affect inflation. And, and certainly the real economy in New Zealand is showing the full effects of, of some of the rate rises that we've had to date. Mm. And lower inflation should follow, but the, the fact is the evidence isn't there. And if you look at what's called the sectoral factual model, which comes out a few hours after the headline numbers produced by the RBNZ, that's actually showing an acceleration in inflation, um, 5.4 mm. from 5.2, which is the highest in the 30-year history of that uh, that particular statistic. So, you know, that's why the markets were, were, were freaked out in terms of the implications for for policy. It certainly has had, you know, it's had some spillover, um, probably aggravated a little bit by what um, Michelle Bullock, the RBA Deputy Governor, had to say a few hours later, which was that the, uh, and borne out by the RBA's minutes, that um, it was a very sort of fine line between 25 or 50 um, at the uh, beginning of October meeting, um, you know, and so mm-hmm. markets have, you know, having seen the 25 and said, well, there's no way they can go back to 50 now, um, you know, because that would be, you know, a further dent to their credibility. Markets now thinking, oh, maybe they will, depending on the data. And, you know, apropos the New Zealand CPI, you know, if that means we're going to see upside surprises in the uh, Q3 Australian data when we get that at the end of the month, then who's to say that the uh, the next move from the RBA won't be 50? But both, I mean, I think it was in the RBA minutes, wasn't it? I think maybe also the RBNZ was saying the same thing, that, you know, if there's this potential for global growth to subside, then uh, inflation could come down fairly quickly as well. I guess, hence the reticence to move too quickly by the RBA. Is that that's part right. of it? Well, I think could being the operative word there, as opposed to mm. will. And I think that's still, you know, the underlying <laughs> problem still is guessing. that everyone thinks mm. that inflation is coming lower. And that's the evidence for that is uh, is very, very hard to see at the moment. And that's why. Yeah. Um, you know, and to the extent that that's still, you know, feeding into inflation expectations, you know, central banks are just still running scared of, you know, taking their foot off the off the brake. You know, as some people argue that the RBA did, you know, with that twenty five point rate um, hike this month. But we were certainly saying it wasn't a it wasn't a dovish move. It was, you know, and as uh, Michelle Bullock, it was at pains to point out the fact that we meet every month means that you know, and our rates have actually been rising here as fast as anybody else's. Um, you know, that mean we, we have that sort of luxury, if that's what you want to call it, you know, of not having to go in 50 or 75 basis points. So it is everywhere. It's taking time, isn't it? So uh, so if we look in Canada, for example, we get their inflation numbers. So in, inflation numbers for Canada and the UK tonight. So, that I mean, it's going to be interesting to see those, given that, you know, we do seem to be seeing CPI creeping up when the expectation is it's going to go down. So everything is taking longer. But the interesting thing in Canada as well is the the housing market is still quite resilient, even though they've got this massive housing debt there. So uh, that housing starts 270,000 in August. It was expected to fall, uh, but it actually rose to 300,000. We you know it's a different story in the US, of course. We get uh, housing starts for, for the US uh, later on, but we just had the housing market index from the NHB and that fell from 56 to 38 which was worse than expected so a very different picture but then as you said in the US industrial production up 0.4 percent in September which is maybe more than expected in the same for for manufacturing production so numbers pointing in all directions no wonder we're all confused. <laughs> no absolutely and I was looking at a table talking about Canadian housing market I, I saw a, 
the table, how reliable it is, I don't know, talking about the most overvalued housing markets in the world. And um, no, Sydney was not at the top of the list. It didn't make the top 10, but Vancouver was right at the top yeah. of the list, basically. <laughs> so, you know, and the Cassandras will say, well, that means that they're going to have the biggest crash. And other people saying, well, that says, you know, housing has been the best investment <laughs> in, in, in Canada in the last 20 years. So, um, but no, the NAHB one was interesting in the US because it was a much bigger fall than expected. It's the 10th consecutive monthly decline. That's an index of home builder uh, sentiment. Uh, and we're going to get housing starts and, and building permits uh, this evening. And I think we'll see that, um, you know, certainly if you overlay um, that NAHB survey against things like new home sales, for example, it says that there is a lot of weakness, you know, still to, to work through as far as the housing market is concerned. And, you know, and given that we've had a further move up in, um, you know, 30-year bond rates, which, you know, directly links to 30-year mortgage rates, which are the most common uh, form of mortgage in the U.S., you know, there's a lot of pain you know, ahead for the housing market. But so far, and apropos those industrial production numbers, you know, we're not seeing really, really strong evidence of an economic slowdown. So Canada's CPI and the UK CPI, if they both are higher than expected today, what's that going to do to, to bond markets, given that, you know, the, the UK bond markets are just starting to <laughs> calm down, still not back where they were. I mean, yeah, if yeah. that's a high read, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that could spell disaster, yep. couldn't it? Well, I think what it, I mean, we've got the um, Bank of Canada meeting on the 27th of October, I believe, and then the Bank of England is on the, uh, you remind me, 2nd of November, isn't it? Uh, or 1st mm. of November. Um, so at the moment, the markets are, in Canada, it's will they do 50 or will they do 75? And in the UK at the moment, you know, it's probably will they do 75 or will they do 100 or will they do something, you know, higher than 100? Um, but if we do get, you know, no better than if, if the numbers don't come in any any better than expected, and UK CPI headlines expected to hit ten percent from nine point nine, but I see that there's almost as many economists saying it'll be north of ten percent, ten point one or ten point two. Um, mm. And in the, in Canada, small fall in headline, but the underlying measures are expected to be unchanged. Then, you know, I think realistically, it probably tilts the dial you know, towards the Bank of Canada doing 75 for sure, even though it's, you know, fairly well priced. Um, And maybe, you know, as far as the Bank of England is concerned, thoughts that they wouldn't do more than 75, you know, given the uh, the scale of the U-turn on the fiscal policy side and what that means for inflation, then uh, does that mean it still makes, you know, 100 basis points more likely than any other alternative in November. So what about in Europe then? So we had the zoo survey for the Eurozone and for Germany. That measure of economic sentiment was was still heavily in negative territory. That comes as no surprise because we know that uh, Europe is struggling marginally up on last time, although an acknowledgement that current conditions are way worse. So there's a bit of optimism, but they recognise that they are in uh, a pile of no good at the moment. Uh, But we've got ECB speakers out overnight, Schnabel and uh, Nagel, for example. But uh, what's What's the story? We haven't heard for a while about, uh, you know, how they intend as they raise rates, how they're going to protect some of the high debt members in the South, like Italy in particular. So the Transmission Protection Instrument, the TPI, that was supposed to protect them against high borrowing Mm -hmm. costs. Is is that sorted out? uh, Are they using that? Will they use that? Where are we with that? Um, I don't know if it's sorted out because that all goes on behind closed doors in terms of exactly what the conditionality for for it being triggered is. But, um, you know, the plain fact is that, you know, if it was fully operational and we knew all the details, there really hasn't yet been a case for using it. If I look at, say, um, German Bund yields from late July, which is when the TPI program was first announced, they've gone from three to four point um, 
seven, um, something like that anyway. So call it the 150 basis points, uh, a little bit more. And uh, sorry, that's BTP. So BTPs have risen about 150 basis points, but so have German Bunds. So if you think that the, the, the tool was really there, it was an anti-fragmentation tool and to effectively act on spreads between euro peripheral debt and the core to German and French uh, debt, there really wouldn't, they wouldn't have been a need for it, basically. So, you know, the fact that we haven't heard much of it, I think, is, is partly because we haven't seen that spread. But let's also remember that, um, you know, that the new Italian government hasn't yet been formally formed. Uh, and we haven't yet seen the colour of the new government's money as far as just how adherent they plan to be as far as uh, unlocking the, you know, the fund, the next gen um, recovery funds, for example. There's no indication that they're not going to do you know, everything that's necessary to, to achieve that or, you know, they're going to do things with fiscal policy that's going to rattle the Italian uh, bond market. Not that that would be a condition for, for activating TPI, but as I say, for the moment, uh, it's, uh, it's, I presume it's, it's, it's still work in progress in the background, but there hasn't been a need for it. So do you think UK politics has finished rattling the markets now? Because it, uh, it is Wednesday, that means it's Prime Minister's questions time, which normally the markets wouldn't be too concerned about. But there will be a lot of people watching uh, Liz Truss's performance to see whether she's, uh, she's got what it takes to be a Prime Minister in difficult mm-hmm. times or whether the, the party is going to throw her out after what I suspect will be a dismal performance today. Mm-hmm. So uh, that could rattle it, markets a little bit, perhaps. Right. Is she definitely turning up? Do you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, if she doesn't, that says something yeah. as well. But, no, but just, I mean, the, the one thing to say there is that, you know, despite the, you know, the scale of the U-turn on tax, there is still a big question mark for markets about, you know, the, the precise details of how they're going to fund the um, the energy price guarantees, even though obviously the, the announcement from the Chancellor has been that they're going to shorten the, the lifespan of the guarantee to only, what, April next year. Um, but there is still a big hole in, in finances relative to where we were, um, you know, prior to that mini budget. So, um, you know, anything that uh, if you just front up anything she has to say in that regard, who, who still has the potential to be market moving. Windfall tax, very easy, isn't it? Just uh, increase the windfall. I mean, why just do it? Just solve the problem and move on. Look, uh, it seems like uh, equity markets are back to the old way of looking at uh, company performance. So the earnings season is certainly helping, isn't it? We've got Netflix after the bell uh, with its quarterly results. Its shares are down 1.4 percent so it'll be interesting to see they've they, of course they will be presumably be saying how they're going to support their future with this uh, new tier which is supported by advertising we've also got ibm alcoa procter and gamble so good to see how uh, you know consumer uh, no, commodities are, are going to do uh, lots to keep the share market happy basically if, if the outlook's positive for those companies well, no, absolutely. And let's say that to date, you know, the, the, the expectations have, have mostly been exceeded. Now, now, that's normally the case, but I think there was quite a bit of pessimism built in in front of the earnings season in terms of the outlook and not yet borne out. And so, although you know, to qualify what I said, that, you know, this is a bear market rally, um, there hasn't been anything, you know, substantial in the earnings reports to date to justify lower levels. So as you say, let's see what that latest slew of earnings has to uh, has to offer in the next 24 hours. All right. Well, very good. I will catch you again soon, Ray. Nice to talk to you after a while, it seems. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Indeed. Will do. Thanks, Phil. Got a cast of thousands these days, haven't we? It's still good to have the old guard on every so often, just so you know they're there. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'm back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Have a great day.